0: Hey, Life Insurance Agents, you're listening to the Modern Life Insurance Selling Podcast, where we provide the tools to help you grow a more profitable life insurance business by selling online and over the phone from anywhere with an internet connection. Even if you're alone in your quest to build your life insurance business, just know that there's a community of life insurance agents at SellTermLife.com, connecting and helping each other grow their businesses from home offices, coffee shops, beaches, all across the nation.
1: Welcome to episode number 36 of the Modern Life Insurance Selling Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Root, and today we'll be speaking with a top-of-the-table MDRT producer on how he's built his business, including his four-step process to marketing and why he focuses on client experience over everything else. He's got a lot of great information to share with us, and this will be especially useful for those agents with local books of business. But first, if you like what you hear and are listening in iTunes or Stitcher, please leave us a review. And if you have any questions or want any topics covered, please use the Send Voicemail tab over at SellTermLife.com and we'll be sure to cover them in future episodes. So let's get to it. Tim Claremont is our guest on the podcast today. Tim is founder and president of Clear Financial Partners. He's a top-of-the-table MDRT producer. Most recently, Tim published a book on How to Sell with Authenticity and Integrity, and is currently pursuing his passion by helping other advisors get to and potentially exceed his success. Welcome to the podcast, Tim. All right, so why don't we start off by you giving us a little background about yourself and Clear Financial Partners. So I guess the easiest way
2: we you know when any time somebody asks a financial advisor about background they want to go back and tell you about their first kindergarten experience you know <laughs> four from there it's tough to give you the uh, the details but in general I can say my original passion was writing I enjoyed writing uh, you know writing books I wanted to write fiction and uh, when I was 13 and I decided that I wanted to be a writer and then I found out you can't make a lot of money as a writer so I instead I thought I'd, I'd get a job and and focus on making a lot of money and retire early and write books and not worry about whether they get published and I wanted to be a tax attorney, I Hated taxes. Got my first paycheck when I was 13 years old. I knew exactly what it was supposed to be. And somebody called FICA, FUDA, FedInk, Inc, and all these other people took like half my check. And so I was pretty frustrated about that. And I went home, talked to my dad about the taxes and he explained it to me when I was 13. And um started doing my own tax returns on J.K. Lasers tax guide, the 1040 EZs. Uh, he said, it's pretty basic math. I can do it. And so I thought, you know, tax attorney, I saw Tom Cruise in the firm. I thought, yeah, I'll do that, <laughs> but try not to get shot. So um, that was kind of my point. Went off to, uh, you know, Whitman College to focus on, uh, you know, doing pre-law work and majored in economics out there. And was really recruited off campus. So in my senior year, a financial planning company came on campus and interviewed me, saying, um, and "My economics professor said, Tim, why don't you go practice your interviewing skills so you can get the job?" And so I did that for you know a thirty-minute interview, and they told me how I could teach business owners to write off twenty, thirty, forty grand a year in these qualified retirement plan accounts, four hundred one k's, things like that. And I thought, this is great. I'll do this for a year, have more on my resume, go be a tax attorney. You know, have been a financial mm-hmm. advisor for a year, and uh, I'll put off law school for a year after a year of doing this, I realized I was born for this. I, I love it. And so I've been doing it for since 97, since I graduated 17 years now, and started straight out as an independent contractor, straight commission position, just like I think so many of the other you know listeners probably started. Mm-hmm. And uh, it worked with a lot of life insurance that first year. And since then, uh, it was a solo operation for the first decade. Then in 2009, I hired my first well, I brought on board a, another advisor and started sharing clients with her. I was just, I was buried. I was working 80 hours a week and, you know, just trying to juggle, you know, four or 500 clients and the deep level of relationship I wanted to have with everybody. So I needed to share those clients with another advisor. So I brought on another advisor and turned over, um, you know, a significant portion of those clients to that person. Uh, and since then have just continued to expand over the last uh, five, six years She's been with me now for six years. Uh, hired my first full-time assistant a year after that, and have continued hiring people and building out other scenarios. Uh, over the last six years, I've done just about everything I've ever heard of doing—from every coaching program and financial planning organization, uh, MDR keys, and you know all the different coaching programs out there. I've joined most of them, and you know, thanks to my high implementation quotient, we've you know tried and implemented and integrated uh, lots and lots of stuff. Now I have six full-time employees, including my CEO who runs everything, uh, my chief operations officer who handles all my operations department, a couple of advisors in training, my marketing director, and I have two independent contractor advisors as well that uh, have their own financial planning practices and what we would refer to as a silo model, Mm -hmm. uh, and then they have their own assistants, uh, and we're actually actively hiring a couple more people right now and uh, acquiring a property casualty company over the next quarter uh, as well, so... Um, constant uh, expansion processes, uh, but I've gone from basically just me six years ago to a team of uh, probably eleven people in my
1: office, and and that's that's kind of where we're at at this point. So. Awesome. Let's talk about how you got there. So, what initially attracted me to kind of cold email you and get and get on your calendar to do this podcast was I was reading in uh, MDRT's magazine a couple months ago, where they I think they did like an a, an article on you and you know, I thought to myself, I need to get this guy on the podcast. So in your article, you said that everything you hear, you pretty much try and decide to either keep it or discard it. And so that's what I'd like to dig into a little bit here. You talk about, you know, your high implementation of things you learned from MDRT, other coaching programs and everything. Can you tell me about the process of experimenting with new marketing and figuring out what to implement and what to ditch? Yeah, absolutely. And to yeah you know, to be fair,
2: I'd love to tell you it was extremely systematic, and I was going to do this first and this second and this third, but that was not the way it worked out at all. It was very organic in mm-hmm. nature, and I think that's the the nature of the way things work out with all of us. So as I heard an idea, I would implement it, and that was you know so it was whatever idea I happened to hear at the the most recent time that I thought was a good idea. I would go ahead and try and and the first thing you know when I get that uh, when I got that advice, you know I would give it a shot and once I've given it a shot. If it works, great. I you know I keep it. If it if it uh, needs to be tweaked, I tweak it. And if it doesn't work, then um, obviously I bag it and and we move on. But it's little leaps of faith that ultimately allowed me to move forward. For example, one of the first ones I got was uh, you know client segmentation. A lot of us have been told we need to segment our clients so we understand the differences. And you know I went to a mastery meeting by a financial advisory group, a third party money manager, where I, I went for a couple days, and they talked about segregating your clients into pearls, opals, rubies and diamonds. So, rather than a b c and d, you know, which no client wants to be a c client. So, right. Uh, I'm very much about transparency. So, I don't want to do something in the back office that I that I would feel uncomfortable if my clients found out about it. So, I told my clients, so you're going to be Pearls, opals, rubies, and diamonds. And any client who has who has less than two hundred fifty thousand with us is a pearl. And two hundred fifty to five hundred is an opal. Five hundred to a, million is a ruby, a million or above is a diamond. Because most of our revenue comes from one percent of the assets under management, we're making more money on people who have more money invested with us. Mm-hmm. Therefore, by setting up a, a level of services, we're able to offer more of our time and more services to clients who have more money invested. And we're very you know, black and white about it. Um, that was one of the greatest things we we implemented. That led to client appreciation events where we, you know, started to say, "Hey, let's recognize the opals, rubies, and diamonds, and have an opal event party." Where uh, we do that every year, and have done that for the last six years or so. A ruby event party where only the rubies and diamonds are invited, and then a diamond event party where, you know, that's the elite best event. Uh, and uh, and then we still have a holiday event that everybody
1: gets invited to. So. That way, uh, you know, nobody feels left out. That's worked out very, very well. Awesome. Can you give us some examples of marketing that didn't work? Yeah. So, like a yellow
2: page ad, that was a real flop. Mm-hmm. You know, probably uh, I think it was the early 2000s, and you know, I decided to go ahead and and put a little ad in the yellow pages, and figured, you know, I was told at the time, you know, hey, put money into marketing, it'll pay for itself, and so I think I had to drop, you know, ten grand or something over a, a period of time to put it in some yellow page things. And, You know, I I didn't get any response from that. So that was a a waste. I also did seminars a couple of times, you know, in the early 2000s where, you know, I I just didn't – I think I don't – it's not that they don't work because we do workshops all the time now and they're wonderful. But the seminars I was doing were not formulated enough and not structured enough in our approach. So the results were not there. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if you don't do things a certain way – You know, you can have a really great idea, and you get the wrong result, and then you, you know, you veto the idea. It's kind of like when a client has an IRA account that's invested in a really bad investment, and the investment goes down, and they say, those IRA things are horrible. I'm never going to get an IRA again. Well, it's not the IRA that's a problem. Right. The investment inside the IRA is a problem. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, it's the same case with, with marketing, so sometimes.
1: Yeah. You basically, like you said, you kind of went through the process of, as you're building your business, kind of going idea after idea. If it didn't work, scrapped it. If it does work, did you kind of just like double down on it and create systems around it? Or how did that work out? Yeah, it
2: was a four-step process, I would say. Step one, do it. So there's no thinking about it, whatever, if it sounds good, try it. And then step two, you know, after you've been doing it for a little bit, adapt it to optimize it if it's if it's good or bag it. If it's good, you've adapted it now to optimize it. Then step three is figure out how you're going to adapt it to delegate it because the last thing you want to be doing is still doing it. Right. <laughs> you want somebody else doing it for you. So you, mm-hmm. you can have your team member doing it or outsource it or something like that. And then once you've got it adapted so that it's delegatable and you can remove yourself from it, then you systematize it. And so building a system around it at that point so it becomes replicatable. So it's that, that's the four-step process, I would say,
1: to just about everything that we've gone through and implemented. I love that. It's always been you know, in that sequence. Awesome. And that's, that's really how you scale, too, once you figure out something that works. So something that, that struck me in that MDRT article is, is when you said that, I, and I'll quote here, I decided as far as marketing is concerned, the best resource I have is my clients. So every marketing dollar that I can think of I try to turn back into how can I provide an amazing experience for my new clients so they can't stop talking about how awesome we are. Can you tell me about some of those things you're doing? You you mentioned the client appreciation events for those those four levels, I believe they were, right? Yeah, that's one example.
2: Yeah, after wasting money on the Yellow Page ad, you know, and and, uh, and having the half-hearted public seminar attempts that didn't work out, you know, I realized I couldn't just throw money at marketing and expect it to take care of it for me. and. The best results I was getting were from all the word of mouth that were going around about my reputation and who I was and and my clients talking to their friends and their family. And and that's where all of our new business was coming from. So rather than wasting marketing dollars to yellow page ads and things of that sort, I decided, let me turn those around and spend that money on my clients. And that's where I started the client appreciation events. Now, you know, I look for ways to spend money on my clients, obviously within compliance restrictions, but in a way that I then evaluate and see what kind of ROI came back from that expense. So mm-hmm. you you take a leap of faith, spend the money, and then take a look back later, whether that's two months later, or whether that's a year later, and say, was that worth it or not? And sometimes it wasn't worth it, and that's when you need to bag something or change it. So, and, but most of the time, you know, when you spend money on your clients, it is worth it, and, and you're making an investment in them that's that's gonna last as long as the relationship lasts. And obviously our intention is to have long-term relationships. Nowadays, I, you know I could share with you that we have an advocate appreciation program, an Aap, which which we've put into place since the early part of last year, where we have workshops that we do on a regular basis. Last year we did four. This year we did six. I think next year we're going to ramp it up to probably twelve to twenty four workshops. and you know, we pay for, uh, you know, a plated dinner for people to come in. We teach them on a various education, you know, topic. And mostly, but we make it about them bringing their friends. So we invite our existing best clients, our rubies and diamonds and opals, and say, you know, bring your friends. is a great, easy way for them to learn how to meet us, learn some good information. We'll pay for a nice dinner. And, and you know, it only takes a couple of those those friends to become clients to mm-hmm. pay for the whole workshop and maybe even all the workshops for the rest of the year that's been great. I actually tied into that uh, another tweak, which has been wonderful. My fiance and I, uh, we, we, you know, I wanted, I love spending time with her, right? It's it's wonderful. Like we all love to spend time with the people in mm-hmm. our lives that we care about. And I wanted to do something fun every month. So we actually structured a uh, a monthly date night and different weird things from cooking classes to dance lessons to football games and sporting events or whatever. And I was thinking, I love my clients so much, who am I going to bring? And so for every referral that somebody gives us, we give them a raffle ticket. And for the next six months, you know, we let them know what our date nights are and we're going to bring one other client and their guest, whether it's their spouse or or a a child or whatever, depending on the event, that's up to them. And for every person that shows up in our office that they've referred, or every person they bring to the workshop, they get a raffle ticket, they get entered in for a drawing, and we do a drawing in the month before the next date night, and we let them know that they've won uh, the opportunity to go out and have a really cool date night with my fiance and I, and the four of us will go out and do something really awesome. And so from that, it's been just a lot of fun. You know, the clients are excited about winning the opportunity to go hang out with us and spend a few hours with <laughs> us. We would to have a great time with them. Awesome. And, I mean, we literally just had dance lessons last night. You know, that's where I was at last night, and uh, I went to a Beavers football game. Over the weekend for the previous month event, they just happened to have two events pretty close together this month, but was uh, two different months just happened to turn over recently. We do weekly newsletters and and then our at the end of the year, we have a big big advocate appreciation program event, which is our blowout event just for client advocates from the previous from the previous year, so anybody that has sent us somebody. The previous year, we bring them to a big event. We, we rent out a suite at the Blazers, uh, the Portland Trail Blazers, and, and uh, have just an amazing
1: party up there. For the, and only the people that have sent to somebody the previous year get invited. I love it. So you're investing and focusing on client experience over everything else. Is that right? Absolutely. Okay. So it's all about the client experience. So, like you said, your marketing dollars are. Are they focused solely on client events or client experience, or is there anything else that goes out? Well, now that we've had the workshops going, I mean, it's definitely still client experience. There's more things we do for client experience, but those are the the basics. Mm -hmm.
2: I would say that's the vast majority of it. You know, because we have the workshops going, we have considered starting to open up some of the workshops to the public and maybe doing some uh, direct mail and or, you know, invitations through social media and things of that sort to invite non-clients to some of our workshops, we're just getting, you know, dipping our toe in the water for that. Yeah. Because we're so careful on having such a great experience of these things, then the expense per head is not insignificant. It's, it's decent for these meals and everything. You know, we don't want to have a room full of 60 people that just want a, a free meal and, right. and aren't yeah. really interested in what it is that we're doing. So we're still, you know, kind of teasing that out to see how we could target a specific group of clients where we pre-qualify the people we invite instead of just inviting the masses. But we have some good strategies that we're implementing right now. It's just uh, it's a little early to tell you exactly what those results are. Um, so we, like I said, try everything we can as soon as we can. So I should know within three to six months how, the, how those results are panning
1: out. Have you tried any sort of online marketing strategies? Yeah, you know, it's a, it's, it's a great question. With the compliance
2: lag in our industry and so much compliance is – has really made it challenging for us to pursue social media. I mean, no testimonials yeah. allowed in, in the securities-related industry. For those that are strictly insurance-licensed, I, I don't think they've had to deal with that concern as much. Yeah, we don't. allowed uh, a little bit m- more aggressive social media opportunities. With me have, being securities-licensed, it's been a little bit of a slower progression. We're allowed a profile on LinkedIn and on Facebook, and so I've got my marketing director right now working on that and trying to figure out how to... Cross market within that area and still do it compliantly is, is one of our current projects. But but I do think that's the path to getting pre-qualified people into our workshops. And the workshops are the are the the obvious path for introducing them to us and then getting them into actually meet with us. We have considered doing some radio work and I, it is on our to-do list. That's one of the things that that's there. But implementation of that, given everything else that we're doing right now, is probably end of next year at the soonest. And then TV would probably be after that.
1: Okay. Does your uh, website play any role in your business at all? Do you send anybody over there? or? Oh, yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah, I would say it's a conduit for uh, for our clients, I mean, they all check their, you know, account values on a login on our website. They're able to get all kinds of information. I think anybody, anybody who's anybody who has a business has to have a website. It's just, it's a must. Is it going to generate a whole bunch of additional business for you? I don't know. But if you don't have one, you know, you, you just don't look as credible when, mm-hmm. when you've got clients. That, the first thing they're going to do when they hear about you is Google you on the internet. Exactly. If you haven't Googled yourself, I mean, you, you know, you're way behind the times. So. So you better make sure that good stuff's coming up so you look professional, you look good, and, and that's just kind of like having a business card nowadays. It's just something you have to have. But, Absolutely. Uh, but it is, it's is—it's the tool. It's, it's where clients go to look for information first about a company.
1: Yeah, and it's, and it's good just to control your reputation too. Okay, so you've actually created a, a framework for everything that you're talking about right now that you've mentioned, your client appreciation events, everything you do, and you're launching a coaching program around yeah. it. So I guess my question is, and... Don't mean to push on you on for this, but, you know, why not double down on what's working for you and, and build your firm up? Why go the route of a coaching program?
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a perfect question, and frankly, it's one that some of my team members here have asked me several times. You know, their revenue is, is based on the success of this firm, and so the more money that they make, the, you know, or the more money that we bring in as revenue, the more money that I can pay my team. And so that's definitely their motivation, but I would say first and foremost, the answer to that question is, is passion. I'm very passionate about helping my clients and that's great. But but I've been doing that for seventeen years and, and I my passion extends beyond just my clients. I wanna help our industry. And I'm passionate about sharing what it is that I've learned with other financial advisors and other insurance professionals so that they can Excel even faster than me. I'd love nothing more than to see them outproduce me. I have no problems with that. I'm not competitive in that way. I'd, you know, take the information and run with it. Use it. Implement it. You know, have more people be successful. And there's so many people in our line of work that are in the baby boomer generation that are likely to transition into their own retirement experience. There aren't enough people out there that are in the millennial generation. You know, those in their in their 20s and maybe even early 30s coming into our line of work. And there's so many differences generationally. Mm-hmm. And so solving the problem of bringing in younger people into our line of work and matching them up with older advisors that have experience and, and really finding apprentices is is one of the solutions I'd like to have. In general, I, as I've been so passionate about sharing my ideas with my colleagues and friends, whether it's MDRT and the TOT or uh, the coaching programs or just through my broker-dealer, they all come to me now and ask me my advice <laughs> and mm-hmm. I love sharing it with them. It's, I mean, I, cause I want to see them succeed, but it's become inefficient for me to do that on a one at a time basis. Yeah. So it, I can't, I can't have one at a time conversations with everybody and help them. So instead I have decided, you know what, I'm just going to put together a coaching program so that I can tell everybody at the same time, the same information, so they can learn what it is that we're doing and I can do that more efficiently in a group capacity And then from that, that's really where the coaching program came. But, of course, that time that I'm spending doing that, as you said, I I could otherwise be investing that time in working with my clients, building more clients, and, and making more money. So I don't want to lose money teaching my friends, even though I'm passionate about it. So I'm just trying to collect enough from the coaching revenue so that it's equivalent to what I would otherwise be earning if I invested those hours and working with clients. Right. So I'm not tr- I'm not trying to profit, really, from the coaching thing. I'm just trying to at least make the same amount of money I'd make if I was working with more diamond clients, the, which would be another alternative I would have.
1: So it's a passion play. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Great. So I guess my follow-up question is, because there's a lot of programs, a lot of marketing systems that are kind of hawked by people outside of our industry, you know, so... How is your coaching program different from other programs out there? I mean, what's your unique value over other coaching programs? Sure. No, and I think that's a, that's a very good question. I, you know, I don't want to do anything that's
2: already been done. If somebody mm-hmm. else is doing it, just go there. You know, that's wasteful. Yeah. So I've already joined so many of the top coaching programs. I've you know, participated in several of them over the last several years. And, and frankly, I love all of them. There's value to be had in, in, in all of those programs. But what I haven't seen... And the biggest thing I've been kind of frustrated about is is the specific systems that can be implemented, just plug and play as much as possible, and the accountability for the coaching programs. You know, so many of the coaching colleagues that I've had have gone in, and, and they'll jokingly refer to how they're an ideal coaching candidate. Uh, they're a slow learner who keeps coming. <laughs> and yeah, that's an ideal coaching candidate for the coaching program, because the coaching program is going to make more revenue as this... Low learner keeps coming and paying the coaching fees over and over again. Mm-hmm. But you know my ideal candidate is somebody who's going to have a high implementation quotient like me that can take all my stuff and implement it as fast as possible and be successful with it because I'm trying to revolutionize our industry here. I'm not trying to make a bunch of money you know, telling people stuff that they should be doing and then watch them not do it. So there's accountability in our structure. Uh, that's why I really realized I don't know anybody, even myself, that could implement all of our systems in one year. There's just no way. It was yeah. overwhelming. They would never be able to do it. So, my thought is you know, it probably takes even a person with a high implementation question, probably take them like four years. So, that spawned the idea for the name of our coaching program. So, our, our company name is Clear Financial Partners, and and our coaching program is Clear FP Academy. And it's really kind of like a college curriculum, is the way I'm looking at structuring it. So, you're going to have a freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year experience. And in the freshman year, I'm going to teach the fundamental core systems that everybody should be utilizing, at least the things that that we believe are are core and fundamental that everybody needs to have, and we'll take them through that process. I've got accountability uh, built into the program, so people who join it will need to follow through and actually implement several of the things that, that in their own way, I I build in a combination of what they want and what's important to them, because I want them to finish the year in a way where they look back and say, oh my God, that was the best thing I ever did and have success at it so that they want to come back next year and they want to tell everybody else to come. So it needs to be successful in that way. But but we'll bring systemization so they can use our systems exactly as we've got them in a plug-and-play capacity as best as possible and then also have accountability so we can actually see these things get integrated and not just dream about integrating them, wait three years to get it done. But that's some of the basics. I could go on on this issue for a long time. I, just, uh, I get carried away with it because I... No, it's great.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's a great program. I mean, just, I mean, the whole plug and play and and basically handing over your system, something that you've worked so hard for, and basically handing it over. I mean, I hold on so close to my systems that I have a hard time to let anybody see them. (laughs) You know, so I I think it's very generous of you to do that in this sort of capacity. Before we, you know, scheduled this podcast interview, your office sent me I guess you can call this a brochure of your your coaching program here, and I read through it. It goes over the freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, exactly the technology, the compliance, the presentations, the research, the systems, the portfolios, all that stuff. I mean, you really do lay it out exactly what you're getting here. In a manner that it's, it's digestible, <laughs> it doesn't totally blow me away where I'm like, okay, I, I can't do this. But it's really impressive how you were able to lay this out in a way where you're, you're not saying, like, okay, in year one, you're going to be able to implement everything. You know, you're very clear that this is a, a process. This isn't an overnight thing and it takes time. And I love the way you position that in in the brochure you sent over here. Thank you. Yeah,
2: I mean, I definitely put a lot of thought into it. I've, my passion around building our team, I mean, I've you know, I've already reached my own state of financial independence, so it's I, I could retire a couple of years ago and, and uh, play video games and read books and write books. And what I found that I'm surprised that I found is, is that I love doing this as much as I loved writing mm-hmm. um, you know, back when I was 13. So I'm never going to stop doing this. I'm going to keep writing books, and I'm going to keep doing this. But I do it now for fun, and, and I help other people reach their own financial independence so that they can find out what they want to do for fun instead of for a paycheck. Anymore, so I'm really motivated to try to help fix our industry. And with my team members here, I want to see them succeed and live vicariously through their first experiences as they get their, you know, their first opportunities. And 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 that culture and that feel in my office is is just there, and you can just feel it. And I and I want um, I want all of our coaching, you know, students to to have that same feeling. I want to live vicariously through their successes and and see them achieve things and reach their own levels of success so that they really enjoy their lives and make a difference in the world however they want to. And, and I mean, our mission statement is, you know, we empower our clients and associates in their journey to achieve their unique vision of happiness. And, and I live that every day. That's, that's really what I'm trying to have everybody do. And, and I recognize, just like our clients, you know, we make 1% of the assets under management per year, so the more money they make, more money we make. But they, they're not contracted to us. They're not stuck with us for a lifetime relationship. Mm-hmm. We have to earn their relationship every day. And I expect the same kind of situation with my students. At the end of the year, they look back and say that wasn't worth the tuition, that wasn't worth the time it took me to fly to Portland, Oregon and, and spend uh, spend the two workshops that we have here, or not worth the time I invested in the homework or the, the Skype calls. The last thing I want them to do is come in for a second year. You know, if that's the choice they made, I totally get it. And they should, you know, find a, find another fit that's a better fit for them. But my hope is that everybody will look back after year one and say, oh my gosh, that was worth four times what I spent
1: on it. That was worth more than that. And, and that's the result I want to hear. Awesome. So you, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I, it really puts in perspective what you're doing here. And to move along the same thing, you touched on this a few moments ago. So I'm staring at a copy of your book right now, Passionate Ambivalence. And I read mm-hmm. it over the weekend. It's a very quick and informative read about how to sell with authenticity and integrity. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about this book? Sure. So again, in working with my team, a lot of the
2: people that I hired were right out of college. You know, you, you hire for attitude. You train for skill. So it's it's one of the things I learned a long time ago, and I took that on faith, and I, I still feel like that's valid. And so hiring people right out of college for the right attitude, we have a rigorous hiring process that I put everybody through to make sure we have the right candidate. But I found that as a Gen Xer myself and and being raised by baby boomers and and having certain things taught to me as I was raised, that I interpret them as common sense. So, you know, certain ethics things that I've noticed many of the baby boomers would agree that's common sense in chatting with them. Some of the millennials, as I've worked with them, just didn't get the same upbringing experience. I love them to death, but their experience in being raised was different, whether it was technology or the, what their parents had to do or whatever. You know, it was just different from what it is that I experienced. And, and I noticed that some of these sort of things that I thought were common sense just Weren't common sense, and, and it wasn't because they didn't want them to want to know these things. They just hadn't been taught yet. And mm-hmm. so, I looked for a good book that I could turn over to my employees when they would start and say, "Hey, you need to read this. And This will kind of get the bar set." I couldn't find it, so it, so I decided to write it instead. So that's what Passionate Ambivalence is. Passionate Ambivalence: How to Sell with Authenticity and Integrity is really a, it's a quick read that you can get through in one to two hours, cover to cover. And it's something that I have all of my new employees read. I have them do the homework that's inside of it. And if that's good, it helps me understand better what's important to them. And uh, and then it really sets the bar. If that book doesn't resonate with the employees that are coming on board, they're not a good fit for my firm. It's all of those things should feel like common sense. And if they don't, then you should get it after you've read it, and it should
1: become common sense. And if, yeah. it, if it isn't, then, then they're not a good fit. Right. So. Awesome. Uh, but yeah, that's why I wrote it. Awesome. So, what advice would you give life insurance agents listening to this podcast that aren't reaching their full potential or who don't have the business they envision for themselves? What advice would you give those people?
2: If I was going to succinctly summarize and, and kind of, you know, close up one the one thing that I would say everybody could do or should do or continue doing to be successful is consistently be pleasantly persistent so it's it's you know just over and over again you know being pleasantly persistent so many people have the best of intentions and they procrastinate or they don't follow through and just just following through with those people is going to keep people you know, coming in, you know, build your pipeline of people that might be good candidates for your services and keep following up on them on a regular basis until they become your client. And then I guess the other mantra, which you can you know find a chapter on in my book, always do what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it. That is... So basic it seems to me, that so few people actually do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that we actually have that painted in the back of, of our uh, of our office uh, up on the wall by our team. It says specifically, it's painted on the wall, and everybody needs to you know hold everybody accountable. To that always do what you say you're going to do, when you say you're going to do it. And uh, and that that I think is the key to people trusting you, and the key to you feeling
1: good about keeping all your promises. Great advice. I'm nodding my head the whole time. So, so Tim, thanks so much for uh, for being a guest in our podcast here. I know the information that you've shared with us will resonate with a lot of our a lot of our listeners. And so, if an agent wanted to purchase your book or get more information about your coaching program, what should they do?
2: Sure. Well, the book's for sale on Amazon.com. So I think I honestly lose a dollar every time somebody buys it, but that's fine. You guys can cost me a bunch of money. Go buy my book. (laughs) I'll
1: link to Uh, it on the show notes uh, on our website.
2: Yeah, once I uh once I get the quantity up high enough my cost can come down on the printing and I might make 50 cents a book or something <laughs> like that. But, but yeah, I'd love to have uh, love to have people read it cuz that's what it's about getting the mission statement out there and getting people understanding what's, you know, and see how it could be used. The coaching program uh normally it's going to be $10,000 a year to participate and, and uh, but next year I'm offering it for half tuition cuz I'm still building it out next year's the first year. So uh so next year it's only going to be $5,000 for candidates and Anybody that's interested can can contact us. Or, uh, Rachel Bernhardt is my marketing director. The phone number is 503-579-1000. So that's, uh, that's in Portland, Oregon. And uh, you can give her a call. Uh, she can send you the digital information and uh, the brochure and stuff like that that you, know, you were just referring to, Jeff, as well as we have an application. So we'll take applications in and uh, be trying to fill a class by the end of November uh, at the latest mid-December. Uh, so that we can have people get started in this next January. So that would be the easiest way to start with that. And you can always check out our website, uh, clearfp.com, which is clear, F as in Frank, P as in Peter.com for Clear Financial Partners.
1: Fantastic. And I'll link to all this and put these phone numbers in the show notes at selltermlife.com. So fantastic. Thanks again, Tim, and congrats on all your success and everything you're doing for the industry. Really, really appreciate you coming on here. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: And now for a peek into our community of life insurance agents over at SellTermLife.com, here are some of this week's hot topics.
1: So this week in the community, there's a great topic covering a sales concept on how to lower premiums on term coverage without adjusting coverage amount or term length. It's a great differentiator that not many agents are doing. And when you have somebody shopping you on price, you'll come out ahead every single time, especially if it's within the same health classification. So it's a very unique concept that will win a lot of new business that 99% of agents don't know about. There's also a couple topics some agents have started about their new websites. So one agent's just brought his niche website live and is looking for what his next step should be. So we're dishing the advice and he's already on the second page of Google for his main keyword and he just launched. So another agent generate his first leads off of his website and wants to know what his next steps should be so this is different for every website and we're helping him and sharing what we feel his next steps should be based on his goals and anyone who has a website that they want to generate leads on should start their own thread in our community as it's a huge accelerator to bring leads in quickly we have a lot of great minds in here generating anywhere from 10 20 30 50 plus leads a day in the community from their own websites So lots of knowledge in there. Start a thread with your website. We'll give you information to accelerate you generating your own life insurance leads.
0: To join the conversation and discover how you can use modern techniques to sell more life insurance, work more efficiently, and on your own terms, head over to selltermlife.com. We'll see you back next Thursday morning for another value-packed episode of the Modern Life Insurance Selling Podcast.